Michael James Lauren with the Messiah Community Radio Talk Show. If you love Messianic music, you're going to love Paul Wilbur. He is our special guest, and he has a new book out. It's called Touching the Heart of God, Embracing the Calendar of the Kingdom. Paul Wilbur, by the way, has performed in over 70 countries, and his music is very uplifting. In fact, we're going to find out what makes it so. And uh, all the different calendar months and feast days of the Jewish uh, people, how can the Gentiles glean from that? And what are we to know about that? We're going to find out a lot about him and his music. And Paul, welcome to the program. Thank you, Michael. Great to join you today. We asked our audience who would they like to have in the program. We took a poll, and your name came up, Paul Wilbur. Wow. Okay. All right. Well, I, I better do good then. I don't think there's any pressure, Paul. You performed in over 70 countries around the world and uh, reaching people with the, the gift of music that points to Yeshua, which is Jesus. And let's just give our audience an idea of some of your music for those that don't know you. Here's Paul Wilbur. Paul Wilbur and his music. You know, Paul, there's so many believers who have embraced Messianic music, and I want you to address that because uh, tell us how it kind of started for you and when people really realized that uh, there's more than just the church music, that Messianic music can really touch people's hearts. Yeah, it's, uh, it's continued since the oh, 70s and 80s with the, the reawakening of the, the Messianic life, if you will, the the 70s was about the end, the end of the 70s, the end of the Jesus movement, as we called it. But many of our Jewish people were swept into the kingdom during those days, have become the leaders of the congregations and some churches. But there was a restoration of the rootedness of the faith, and the, the church began to reawaken to the fact that the Bible was more than Matthew through Revelation, that there was this other whole, you know, what they pretty much kind of set aside as the Old Testament and the Old Covenant, and, oh, those are the Jewish books, and, and we're Christians, we're in the new. Uh, there was an, a reawakening as well to a kingdom kind of mentality and an understanding, which is uh, broader and deeper and wider you know, I don't believe that Yeshua, Jesus, ever intended to start uh, denominations. Uh, it just, the denominations in my mind just shows how splintered we are. But that he went, he went around the land of Israel preaching the kingdom of God is at hand. Because uh, in a kingdom, you have a king. And uh, even, even an unrighteous Roman pilot knew him to be a king and... Whether he was tongue-in-cheek or not, he put King of the Jews over top of his head uh, on Calvary, and it's really who he is, and he'll be coming back not as the Lamb, but as the Lion of the tribe of Judah. So the the whole kingdom uh, understanding is what I think people were really getting excited about. To see that 
wow, you know, in a kingdom mentality, there's only one kingdom of God made up of Jew and Gentile alike. So even if you're an Irishman from Belfast, Moses is just as much a part of your history and culture if you're a believer in the king of the kingdom. Uh, he's just as much a part of your culture as uh, he is for for uh, Rabbi Goldstein. So uh, I think that was what was getting exciting to, to people. Absolutely. And Paul, tell us why now. I mean, in all of your travels, why is now the time to put a book together like this called Touching the Heart of God? Well, it's uh, it has really been kind of a life message for me that we have sung and and preached and lived for the last, uh, well, 35 years. I came to know the Lord through uh, a Baptist guy uh, who was preaching to me in Indiana University back in 1977. I was in graduate school. So the only thing, you know, I thought, okay, well, I've now, I've become a Christian. Um, I've, I was a Jewish guy who became a Christian. That's not that uncommon. And um, But as I started to read my Bible, uh, it, it got really uncomfortable for me. I, I began to realize that this, this, is, a, this is a Jewish message and that, that Jesus is, is not just the Messiah of the Gentiles. He's, if he's not the Messiah of Israel first and foremost, then he can't be the Messiah at all. So I started reading books. People put them in my hand and say, Paul, you're Jewish. You need to understand these things. And this whole thing just came alive in me. And after four years of traveling and singing kind of a country gospel with uh, with two two nice Gentile boys, uh, God convicted me that the gospel was to go to the Jew first and then to the nations and that in the last days, again, the, the law goes forth from Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And a lot of this stuff got very confusing. What do you mean the law? I thought we were free from the law. And, uh, you know, law is bad. That's Old Testament. That's what we used to be under. Grace is good. That's the New Testament. That's what Jesus purchased for us. So this this whole message that it's a part of that book is really a lifelong message for me. It's a part of my journey. It's a part of some of the conclusions I've come to, but it's also the way uh, my my wife and I and our two sons have lived our lives really in front of the world for the last 40 years. Yes, and this almost didn't happen. You reaching the nations and God sending you. Apparently, you were very well known in Chicago as a worship leader and did quite well financially. People were, I guess, would aspire to just have that kind of life. But it took a revival meeting for you to realize that God was speaking to your heart and that you were to leave this comfort that you had and go out into the nations. Can you talk a little bit about that? You know, remembering back to that that revival meeting always brings me to tears because we had come from a very humble place Uh, when we moved to Chicago. The pastor was a friend. He gave me an office. He gave me uh, a Mercedes Benz to drive. He uh, paid me more than I think any other worship leader of the day was paid. Um, Took me to lunch and dinner many times during the week, bought me clothes, 
anything I needed to do my job, uh, he just wrote the check. And and as you said, you know, most people would have thought, wow, you know, I've I've arrived. I've finally made it. This is what I want to do with my life. But one evening, the Lord said, you know, if you'd asked me, I would have given you the nations as an inheritance for your reward. Instead of a Mercedes, I'll give you the nations. What Which would you like? And uh, so I got up off the floor uh, after he knocked me over uh, emotionally. And I said, if it's not too late, I'll take the nations. So... We went through all these changes, my my family, and I went home and announced to my wife and sons what had just happened, and everyone is always happy in my house, thank God, to do whatever the Lord is saying. I was just teaching at a service this past Friday that if you, if you want to be happy in life, if you want to be successful, you really need to be able to answer three questions uh, correctly. The first one is, who is God? There's a lot of confusion about that these days. Uh, who am I? And the third question is, what time is it? Or what season of my life am I in? And what is God asking me to do? And if you can answer all three of those questions, then you're going you're gonna to find yourself in a, in a very good place. Yes, that's good wisdom. And I have to ask you this question. You know, first of all, in your music, there's such a beauty and power. And these are anthems that really lift up the name of the Lord. And there's a great expectation for Christ's return. And by comparison, sometimes in the church, I hear songs and sometimes they feel like little ditties, you know. And we have the theology down pat, but what can we do to really revive the hearts of people as far as praise and worship is concerned? Well, certainly... Praise and worship is a huge part of our experience here in the West, and um, <laughs> you're, you're hitting on some of my um, major pet peeves, actually, so uh, I'll try not to get preachy, but, you know, praise and worship, as far as I understand, and I've been reading, studying, and praying about it for a long time, is, uh, from what I understand, it's supposed to be us bringing the offering of our heart before the king. And, uh, and and it's all about the pronouns. And so I'm I'm always listening to the songs that are being sung. What what are the pronouns? And and I find in in some churches, not all and it and it's not a, you know, it's not an indictment against church praise and worship, but if you listen carefully, you hear a lot of I I this and I that mm. and me and um, but praise and worship is supposed to be directed towards a throne. Worship is in the Hebrew is the word shacha and it means to bow low. It, there's actually a sense of it in the Hebrew that you're, as Jesus said, not my will but yours. There's a giving over of your will to the will of another. That's true worship and. Um, you can't do that when you're always talking about yourself. So, uh, yeah, I've found that in the scriptures that King David sang to the Lord, not about him. And I, and I think that's probably one of the bigger gaps uh, in our modern praise and worship, if I can go that far, that, that it's about the pronouns. You alone, you are God. Yes, I, I come, but I come to bow down. You are holy. You alone are God. And uh, to me, that begins to tap into 
the essence of worship, Jesus said in John chapter 4 that the, the Father was still searching for those who would worship in spirit and in truth. And being able to understand what that is, I think also gives us a better idea of what we should be singing or speaking or declaring when we gather together for worship. Otherwise, it becomes a, you know, we can have a mutually encouraging time and we can sing to each other about God. But to me, that's not very pleasing for my soul because I need to worship. And uh, the thing that's the power, so powerful about praise is that he inhabits the praises of his people, Psalm 22, verse 3. Psalm 1611 says that in his presence there's fullness of joy with pleasure at his right hand. Um, pardon me, but I, I don't mind having a little bit of his fullness and pleasure. And, uh, and Nehemiah said that that joy, that joy in his presence of the Lord is our strength. So... I often like to say, if you want to be strong, we need to be a people of praise, the kind that he inhabits, the kind that he's used to, the kind that that ministers to him. It's not for us. Uh, We enjoy the benefit of his presence in the praise, but it's it's not about us. And that's what concerns me. So really, the the only thing that has authority in, in this life is the word of God, and that's why we use, uh, we'll set the scriptures to music because he watches over his word to perform it. It won't return to him void, but it accomplishes what he sent it forth to do. So as we sing his word back to him, um, there is an authority in that, and it's, it's fruitful. His word is fruitful in our hearts and minds. It changes our lives. And uh, the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword, divides not only between what is dark and light, but also between even the soul and the spirit, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the hearts of men. So it's the message of the heart that I'm concerned about when we gather for worship. I know a big part of your book, Touching the Heart of God, Embracing the Calendar of the Kingdom, is really about drawing together unity between Jew and Gentile, and it seems in order to do that, that Gentiles need to have more of a compassion about Israel and Jewish people and how God feels about Jewish people, even some of the the calendar customs and understanding a little bit about that. Now, if the church did that, would there be more of a power in the church or more of a of a warmth toward uh, toward Israel and you know, with how would that work out? <laughs> mm. Well, look, uh, Israel in in God's mind, His firstborn, um, the Jewish people, have been the ones to carry the covenant, carry the word of God, um, live out the kingdom for millennia before we we get to the mid second century with uh, with Peter up on the roof and the vision of the of all the animals that if you read carefully to the end of the chapter he's, God's certainly not talking about food he's talking about the people and the nations and so there there is a richness there you can't simply as a new covenant believer dismiss millennia of of tradition, along with the the care for the Word of God, the honoring of the presence of God, the the two temples, the 
the tabernacle in the wilderness, the Psalms of David, a man after God's own heart. You you can't simply say, well, you know, um, well, now we have Jesus, so we don't need any. That, that is such a, a an immature, myopic understanding uh, and and really a, a, a disregard of of whose shoulders that you are now standing on. I mean, setting aside even for the moment that that Jesus Yeshua is is a rabbi from Nazareth. Uh, I mean, even if you were to disregard that, you you simply can't dismiss uh, thirty five hundred years of of tradition. Um, in, in some of it, yes, that uh, needed to be set aside. Jesus certainly wrestled against the traditions of men that caused the word of God to be of no effect. I'm not talking about uh, minutia and and religious tradition that makes us servants to the Sabbath rather than the Sabbath serving serving us. Well, and of course, then obviously Sabbath is also another. Another question, is that relevant today? Well, it's part of, it's one of the big ten, if you will. So I don't know how we, we've, we've gotten so proud of ourselves that we can, we can pick and choose. You know, we'll take this, but not that. We'll, uh, yeah, we'll believe this, but we don't have to believe that. Um, you know, today in our political correctness, Romans 1 is really eggshells. We we we're not we don't really want to talk about uh, sexual orientation. How can be right or wrong if God made me this way? You know we've become very proud of our uh, maturity uh, that that we are so advanced, so enlightened, uh, and along with that, you know God just kind of laughs at our maturity and and pride but not in a not in a happy way so there's if we understand again kingdom um that there's a kingdom of darkness we were all born into but there's the kingdom of god of which we aspire to and and god has now made a way through that final sacrifice of yeshua 2000 years ago uh, so that we no longer are trusting in the blood of bulls and goats and sheep and doves, um, but the the blood of His Son, our Messiah, has made an eternal, everlasting way for us. Whether we were near, speaking of of the Jew, or far away, as Paul says, speaking of the the nations, He's made a common way for us all. But uh, honoring respecting the the ancient ways the the history again the shoulders of those that we stand on and understanding the kingdom that we have been grafted into of Jew and Gentile made into one new man in the Messiah should not make us proud but should make us eternally grateful and humble so that we can understand that this thing is bigger than most of us can really grasp, and the grace of God and His righteousness, and uh, but He does have a way to walk that He outlines very clearly in the Scriptures. I'm not saying that there's 
uh, other gospels. Certainly not. Um, eternal life is a gift of God by his grace through faith in the shed blood and the sacrifice of Yeshua, Jesus, on that cross. His resurrection and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, which was all promised to us through the prophets of Israel. And, uh, and as we approach the scriptures with a, with a greater humility and gratitude, uh, we begin to see more. Uh, humility, I see really as the first attribute before we can get to any kind of unity. How can we walk together as the body of Christ, Jew and Gentile, from 180 nations or how many ever there are on the face of the earth at this moment? How could we ever aspire to walk together in unity if we don't come to the table together in humility? It was said of, of Jesus that he humbled himself and, uh, and he took on our sin. He, he certainly wasn't deserving of it, but that we're to be like him, humble ourselves, um, and we'll come into a, a greater understanding. God opposes the proud, but but he's gracious and he lifts up the humble. And, and we could say that in our doctrine, in our theology, if we approach the kingdom of God with humility, saying, there are probably things here that I don't understand, but my heart is open. I'm teachable. I want the word of God and by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to teach me and train me. I want to be mature so that I can be effective and I think we'll find ourselves more and more embracing uh, these different attributes of the kingdom. Uh, I've talked with some leading Christian pastors, uh, internationally known, who agree that there is more to the Sabbath, that, that really there should be more of our understanding and embracing of Sabbath than we've been willing to as a church. And, and there, there's more. Um, in, in prayer and declaration and in our worship, as we've already discussed. There's just, when we start talking about the kingdom, we, we're talking about something uh, that goes all the way back. Um, it has a king, it has a people. In order to have a kingdom, you have to have a king, a people, and a land. And we have all three of those. And uh, And as we humble ourselves, before the mighty hand of God. He is very gracious to open up our eyes and our understanding to things that are important to him, even if we haven't heard them uh, from all of our pulpits. But thankfully, more and more, uh, pastors and teachers are are coming around to to some of this understanding, and it's it's only going to be good for the body of Christ in these last days. Yes, and I appreciate you elaborating on that because that's a big part of your book as far as bridging the gap of unity between Jew and Gentile once again. What I find fascinating is during this time of year, Christmas time, it really doesn't matter if they acknowledge uh, the church Jesus as a Jewish Jesus during the whole year, but at Christmas time you hear in the songs that he's the king of Yisrael. I mean, he's the king of the Jews, and I, that always puts a smile on my face. I hope that does on yours too. Um, it does. I'm, I'm a proponent that uh, Hanukkah is for Christians. I just shared that at our last first Friday. We're in, we're in the midst of Hanukkah right now is the, the dedication of the temple after the Syrians came in. And look, in, in all of these battles, whether you're talking about way back with, with Esther 
and uh, and the and Haman, the Persian, who wanted to wipe Israel off the face of the map. Why? Why did he want to wipe all the Jews out? Because there's an enemy of the kingdom who has always aspired to the throne of God, Satan, way back when he was Lucifer. It was written in um, Isaiah 14. He said, I'm going to exalt my throne above yours, and I'm going to exalt my stars above yours. He's, he's talking to, to God, to Jehovah, and, and Satan was thrown out, and from that moment, um, he has aspired to take over the kingdom. He's, he's done a, a pretty good job over all these millennia. Of course, he's, he's never going to be victorious. He's so deceived, he thinks he's going to. But there's this whole kingdom thing that when we understand that there's an enemy of the king who has tried to wipe out the testimony of the kingdom in the earth and make it all his, it's a perspective that we need to keep in mind when we think about terrorism in the earth today and, and all the talk about who is God and um, how he's supposed to be worshipped. All you have to do is keep your nose in the Bible, and you're not going to be deceived, and you're not going to you're not going to go astray, and you're going to walk the narrow path. And at the end of it all, you're going to hear, "Well done, good and faithful servant," because the Word of God is a light for our path. We spoke earlier that you have well played in front of over seventy countries as far as stadiums and people, and it's really been quite a career. But uh, if is there more for you to do? I mean, if there is more for you to do, uh, then God wants you to do what? Wow, you're a perceptive guy. Um, Yeah, we're actually now just embarking on television. So I expect that uh, in 2016, we're going to have a weekly television program. I've wanted to be on TV for a long time. I'm comfortable in that media. I really enjoy it. And it's it's a way to keep me off of Delta Airlines and at home while actually reaching the same number of countries. So I'm starting a second book right now. We're in the middle of releasing uh, my next Integrity CD. It's at the studio and being mixed and uh, perfected even as we speak. So, yeah, there's always something new cranking around here. Books, CDs, and now television and I'd like to go to the moon someday. So You never know. <laughs> you never know. Paul Wilbur, thank you so much for being on the program. You've been a terrific guest and a gracious and humble man. I do want to recommend a CD that uh, we have here called Your Great Name. Some really touching and beautiful songs that lift up the name of Jesus. We, uh, we recommend that. And if you do us the honor and say a prayer, not only for all the Jewish people out there that don't know Yeshua, by also all the believers in Jesus that are celebrating Hanukkah this time of year, it would be an honor. Yeah. Well, Father, I thank you for uh, this joyous season. As as the blessings declare, We thank you, Lord, that you're the king of the universe and that you've kept us and preserved us and brought us to this joyful season. Father, as the, as the candles are lit during this joyful season, remembering the king that overcame the enemy of the kingdom, um, Lord, I, I thank you that, that, that light illuminates the hearts of men, 
that they all of a sudden may understand that Yeshua is the light of the world, that shamish candle that lights all the others, the servant who serves all the other candles. Lord, I, I pray that there'll be a revelation that comes into the hearts of men and women as they celebrate. Surprise them. Lord, I, I thank you that you are so good. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. In the name of Jesus, our Messiah, the Prince of all peace. Amen. And amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Paul Wilbur has been our special guest tonight. His book is called Touching the Heart of God, Embracing the Calendar of the Kingdom. We've enjoyed every minute of getting to know you, and thanks again for being on the program. Oh, thank you. It's a blessing. I'd be happy to come back and join you again. Anytime. Well, have a good night, everyone. We leave you with a little music from one of Paul's CDs, The Watchman. It's called Lord God of Abraham. Thanks for tuning in. a living sacrifice.